We now continue our worship service through uh, the preaching of the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please take them and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 118. The psalm uh, that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 118, is a lengthy psalm. It's with 29 verses. And so we will read the text within the sermon this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, as we're ready to go look into the Word of God this morning, uh, let's begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. Your Word is truth. We pray that your Word would now go forth and not return void. That your Word would encourage and accomplish that which you purpose to do in the hearts of those who are listening. Lord, encourage us and strengthen us. Strengthen your people. Light in, your, uh, in, in our hearts a, a desire and a passion for you. To, that we would be more mindful of who you are, Lord. What we, who, what we have in you. And that we would give you thanks and give you praise. Glory and honor that is due your name. Especially, Father, if there's anyone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know you, we pray that through the preaching of your word, that you would draw them closer to yourself. That perhaps, Lord, today may be the day of salvation for them. That you would open their eyes to hear the wonderful truths of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, continue to build your church, even though we're apart. Build your church through your word in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> In these days of COVID-19 and the pandemic and many of us sheltering uh, in place across America, here in the Bay Area, and I'm sure around the world, there is much to be anxious about. We've been addressing that in the past two sermons. But while we have many things to be anxious about, for the worshipers of God, we also have many reasons to give thanks. Yes, I'm sure that this past week, I'm sure we've all been thankful for our lives and our health, our family, our food, and other earthly possessions. Nevertheless, there is still something else, or rather someone else, for whom we can give thanks. And this is our God. Our God is the one for whom we can give thanks. We give thanks to God for Himself. As believers in the Son of God, when all else is lost, when all else is taken away, as was in the case of Job in the Old Testament, we still have our God. And He is more than enough for us in the midst of the greatest of difficulties. And for this, we can give thanks. We give thanks because of who He is. It's why we worship Him, because of who He is. It's why we worship Him this morning, because of what He's done. And so why I want for us this morning to look at this psalm. Psalm 118 
is what's called a, a thanksgiving psalm. It's uh, <clears throat> classified as a, uh, a, thanks, a psalm that calls the worshipers of God to give thanks to the Lord. It particularly calls the worshipers of God to give thanks to the Lord for His faithful love. A love that always answers His people in their distress. And certainly, the people of God today are in distress. And certainly, we can know God's faithful love as He will answer us in our distress. As we head forward with an extended shelter in place, uh, not only now, to, now through the end of April, and perhaps beyond, our circumstances may get worse. But nevertheless, we still have reason to give thanks to God for His faithful love. And when we do that, when we give thanks to God, God uses that to remind us of what really matters in this life. Where our security really lies. Where our hope really rests upon. Not these things that we see that perish, but the things that are unseen, that are eternal, because they're grounded in God Himself. Psalm 118 is a special psalm in that it's special in both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In the context of the Old Testament, it belonged to a compilation of psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, known as the Hallel. Uh, sometimes it was called the Egyptian Hallel, uh, named af- known after the, the reference in Psalm 114, verse 1. But the name Hallel, or Egyptian Hallel, Hallel is taken from the Hebrew word for praise. Oftentimes we say Hallelujah means praise the Lord. The Hallel, uh, these, psalm, these group compilation of psalms, were sung during Israel's three major feasts. Passover, Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, and Tabernacles. During the Passover, Psalm 113 and 114 were, were sung before the Passover meal, while Psalm 115 and Psalm 118 were sung after the meal. Interestingly, when we think about these Hallel's uh, psalms being sung at the three feasts, when you think about all three feasts, they're all kind of somewhat related. The Passover, of course, celebrated Israel's deliverance from Egypt, and particularly when God delivered Israel from the angel of death by teaching them to apply the, the blood of the Lamb upon the doorposts of their homes. Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, was celebrated seven weeks after the Passover. You counted the week, seven weeks after the Passover, and that's when you celebrated the Pentecost. And it was a commemoration of afterwards when Israel would, had wandered in the wilderness. It commemorated their entrance into the Promised Land and that first harvest that they received they, that they reaped in the land as a gift from the Lord. The Feast of Tabernacles celebrated God's provision and protection of Israel when they lived during their years of wandering in the wilderness, where they had to live in, in tents, in, in tabernacles. And then, thus on those on that particular feast, they would all take branches and they would build themselves tents and they would, and they would live in those tents for that week. So all these really, these feasts are all related to God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and God's provision while they wandered and God's provision in bringing them into the promised land. In the New Testament, Psalm 118 stands out as well. Of all the 150 psalms that are in the book of Psalms, 
Psalm 118 is the most quoted of all the Psalms in the New Testament. It is quoted in all four of the Gospels, oftentimes multiple times. It's quoted by Peter in the book, Gospel of, not in, the, in the book of Acts. It's also quoted by Peter in his first epistle. It's also quoted and found, a quote is found in the, in the book of Hebrews as well. But most significantly, especially on this Palm Sunday, it is found in all four Gospels, particularly the Gospel records of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passion Week. This Thanksgiving psalm has also been recognized and classified as a messianic psalm as well. The author of the psalm is unknown, but it was likely written by a Davidic king, describing his call to the people of God to give thanks to the Lord for his deliverance. There seems to be in this psalm a, a victory procession as he had just as he has defeated his enemies and he's heading towards the gates of Jerusalem and he's calling the people of God to, to join with him, to go to the temple and to offer up praises and thanks to the Lord. And And so it's understandable then that this psalm would be quoted when the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, enters into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and all the peoples would cry out and worship the Lord and bless the Lord because the king was coming in. The king was coming to bring victory. As we study the psalm, may we join the worshipers. May we join the, the throng of worshipers who join together along with the King in worshiping God and giving thanks to God for His faithful love in delivering His people. For us this morning, we're going to look at five truths about the Lord that give us reason to give thanks to Him. Five truths about the Lord God Himself. And I know in our limited time, I really can't dig down deep. I, I'm going to try and... Uh, <clears throat> But we can, we can at least kind of break it down to the five big picture truths about our God and our Lord. And for these truths, I hope you will join with me in giving thanks and praise to the Lord. Number one, the first reason, we give thanks to the Lord because He is good. Because the Lord God is good. And this is found in verse 1 to 4. We might also classify, uh, outline this as the call to give thanks. Verse 1 to 4, look at there with me and I'll read it out loud. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. The psalmist here begins with a call to give thanks to the Lord. Verse 1 is the main theme of this psalm. The same words are found not only here, but also in the last verse of this psalm too. It's kind of like a, a sandwich or an Oreo cookie. The first and last call us to give thanks to the Lord. And in between is the psalmist tells of all the, the sweet reasons to give thanks to God. Stylistically, the psalm is written to be sung. All the psalms are written to be sung with repetitions throughout and the main theme then stated at the beginning and the end. The object of our thanks here that we're called to give thanks is the Lord himself. The Lord here is really uh, <clears throat> the word for his, his holy name, Yahweh. Yahweh meaning the eternal one, 
I am, the eternal I am, it is a reference to the almighty, eternal God of the universe. Notice, not only in addition to who were to give thanks, but who was to give thanks. The psalmist calls, and the psalmist here is most likely the king, the Davidic king. He's calling the nation of Israel to give thanks. He's also calling the house of Aaron to give thanks. The house of Aaron is, are, the royal, are the priests, the priests of the nation, the religious leaders. And then in verse 4, he says, he calls all those who fear the Lord to give thanks. Those who fear the Lord would include not only the regular Jewish worshipers, but it would include the Gentile worshipers of God as well. So the psalmist is calling all of God's worshipers who to give thanks to the Lord. And the main reason the worshipers of God are give thanks to Him is because He is good. Oh, what a simple and powerful truth it is. We, we teach it to our children, right? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good to me. You know, Lord is good. And when we say that God is good, we say that our God is a good kind and benign God. This is so important because He is also at the same time an all-powerful and all-knowing being who created the heavens and the earth by barely speaking into existence. Imagine if God was not good, if He was malevolent or even just ambivalent like the deists believed. He would all be, we would all be Fearful for our lives because who knows if one day God might just uh, decide, oh, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm just bored of it all. I think I'm just going to start or, or maybe even just to, to judge the whole world for no just cause. But the Lord is good. God is a good God. He always acts in a benevolent manner toward all. The main way that his goodness is expressed here in this psalm is through his loving kindness. Four times we see this phrase, his loving kindness is everlasting. God's loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness refers to God's faithful and loyal love. It's a love that is based upon his own promise, his own word, that he has been promised to love, and so he will always faithfully and loyally love the objects of his love. His love for His people will never end. It will endure forever. And that's the wonderful thing about God's love. He is so good that he, His love for you will never end. He has promised it, and He will therefore always seek the good of those whom He loves. Although we live in a world that is full of the effects of the curse of sin, including disease, our God remains good. His love for His people continues as always as He seeks our good. And we can count on that. That even though we may not understand why things are happening the way they are, we know that God is good. His loving kindness towards us is everlasting. And for that, we can give thanks. Now secondly, we move on. We have to move on quickly. Secondly, we give thanks to the Lord because He is my help. He is my help, according to the psalmist. This we might call the, is the introduction to the reason to give thanks. The psalmist now, in these verses 5 to 13, recalls a specific event that took place in his life when he had needed to turn to the Lord for help. He writes in verse 5, From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Notice it was a time of distress for the king. 
Later we will see in verses, particularly verse 10 to 12, that the stress was that he was surrounded by enemy nations. It wasn't just him personally, but it was the whole nation of Israel surrounded by enemy nations. The word distress here is a, is a very a vivid picture. It conveys the idea of being in a tight and confined space. Some of us out here have the claustrophobia, and we hate it when we're in that tight and confined space, and we can't get out. It's a, you feel, you feel desperate, like, I gotta get out of here. And that's the word distress. There's no place to move. In that distress, though, the psalmist called upon the Lord for help. He called upon the Lord. He, he cried out for deliverance, for salvation. And the wonderful truth, because God is good and His faith, love, and kindness is everlasting, the Lord answered the king's cry. And the psalmist describes it as that God figuratively brought him into an open space. From the distress of being confined, hemmed in, God brought him into an open space where he was free to move, where he could have freedom. The psalmist then details how God answered his prayer. How God answered in verse 6 to 7, the psalmist recalled that the Lord is for him. The Lord is for him. Notice verse 6 and 7. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. The Lord is for him. Is to say that the Lord is on his side. The Lord is for you as, a, as one who is a worshiper of God, as one who fears God. And the Lord is on your side. And because the Lord's on your side, because the Lord's for you, the psalmist answers, well, as you don't have to be afraid. He asks, what can man do to him if God is for him? And the answer is nothing. In verse 8 to 9, the king concluded that it is better, in fact, to take refuge in the Lord. Verse 8, 8 and 9, we read this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. When surrounded by enemies, the king could have easily turned to the rulers of other nations. Oftentimes, Israel would not trust in the Lord and would turn to the, another mighty nation to, del- to deliver them, but usually Egypt, to deliver them from the attacks of other nations. He could have sought help from other kings, from other uh, armies, but not this king, not this psalmist. He takes refuge alone in the Lord. He says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It reminds us of King Hezekiah in Isaiah's day, in Isaiah 36 and 37, when he was surrounded by the armies of the Assyrian king Sennacherib. There was no place to go, really. But he then took refuge in the Lord. He cried out the Lord in prayer. And, and the amazing, wonderful truth is that God delivered him. And God delivered Israel. The same thing happens to this psalmist. And he details it in, de- in verse 10, to 10 through 13. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Though the psalmist was surrounded by enemy nations, because he took refuge in the Lord, his helper, he was delivered. He was able, with the Lord's help, to cut them off. The Lord helped him. 
Just as the Lord helped the psalmist, so the Lord remains the helper of those who take refuge in Him today. As a worshiper of God, the one who fears the Lord, you can take refuge in the Lord, our God. In fact, it's better to take refuge in Him than to trust in man. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, the author exhorts the Hebrew Christians to not be greedy, but be content with what they have. Then he follows the exhortation with the two Old Testament quotations, the second from Psalm 118, verse 6, the second from here from 118, verse 6. I'd like to read for you uh, what the author of Hebrews writes. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself hath said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So in other words here, the author of Hebrews was saying to them, don't be greedy for riches. Don't think that the solution to all your troubles is in the amount of money that you have in your bank account. Don't be covetous for more and more things, thinking that that's where you find security. That's where you can become satisfied and find your contentment. Instead, find contentment in the Lord. In Him, because why? Because whereas your money and your resources can be lost, the Lord your God will never leave, will never forsake you. And how do we know this is true? Because Psalm 118 verse 6 is a promise that the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You can have all sorts of money, but people can rob and take you away from you. And they can, <clears throat> they, uh, and they can uh, harm you. But the Lord, with the Lord as your helper, ultimately man can do nothing to you. Whereas man, yes, in reality, man can do some wicked things to us. But ultimately, our protection, our security, our soul is secure because the Lord our God is our helper. And therefore, you do not have to be afraid. And this is a truth that we can hold on today. The Lord is our helper. I will not be afraid. Remember, brothers and sisters, especially I, I know that we have a good number of, of uh, medical workers out there. Uh, you guys are, and, and gals and, and late brothers and sisters, are, you're out there. I know you're, you're, you're helping uh, the many who are sick. You're risking exposure. And we've read the news that you don't have any equipment to protect you. I can just imagine how terrifying it is. I feel it just when I go to the grocery store. How much more when you're out, out there with the sick and the dying? Well, may this truth be your comfort when you're afraid. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. He is the one in whom we find our refuge. Thirdly, we give thanks to the Lord because the Lord, He is my salvation. He is my salvation. And here we see, uh, really in a response to what the Lord has done, the, the psalmist is making a vow to give thanks. In these verses, the psalmist praises the Lord for God's strength that given to him to deliver him. 
And the psalmist desires to then testify of God's work among the worshipers in the temple in Jerusalem. I'll read verses 14 through 21 in its, in its complete, uh, in, uh, complete group. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. Notice that the, at verse 14 as well as verse 21, both end with the same recognition that the Lord has become the psalmist's salvation. That the Lord has saved him from, the, from his distress. The Lord is his strength. The psalmist states in that the Lord's right hand did valiantly, was was powerful and kept him from dying, delivered him from from, uh, the threats of of the surrounding nations. The psalmist also says, not only is the Lord my strength, but he says the Lord is also my song. And it's my song in that sense that the psalmist joyfully wants to praise God for his song. He wants to sing the glories of God. He wants to worship the Lord. His joy is so great that he says that he plans to tell of the works of the Lord. When God does great things in your life, when it's good news, you want to tell others about it. You want to share it with others, especially when it's the works of God. Verse 19 to 21 in this section tell us of how the psalmist planned to do so at the temple. The gates are the the gates uh, that enter into Jerusalem. And he wants to enter into Jerusalem. He he's, has victory and he's, wants, he's heading towards Jerusalem. He's looking forward to entering into the gates so that, and then to enter into the gates of the temple so that along with all the righteous, all the worshipers of God, so that he can then together with them give thanks to the Lord for answering his prayer and delivering him and ensuring his salvation. The Lord is the psalmist's salvation. <clears throat> The Lord is also our salvation. Although we may not be surrounded by enemies, we find ourselves in distress, restricted in our movements. And we might pray that God might save us from COVID-19. That may be our prayer. We may pray that it would end, in fact. I read somewhere that 50% of the people nowadays are praying even for who, to whomever they believe that COVID-19 would come to an end. And the Lord our God... He might answer that prayer. He might not. Nevertheless, we can still give thanks to Him. Why? Because He is our salvation. He is our salvation, not in the physical sense of being delivered from enemies or being delivered from from disease. He is our salvation from something far worse. He is our salvation from the danger and the curse of sin. Maybe we've read in the news that about COVID-19's mortality rate. I think it's around 1%. It used to be higher, but now it's kind of dropping as more and more data is coming in. But there is a disease that has a 100% mortality rate. It is the, the disease of sin. 
Whereas mankind may eventually discover a cure or vaccine for COVID-19, we will never, on our own, find our, a cure for sin, nor find a vaccine for the consequent curse of death. We haven't found it yet, and we never will, because it's this, the spiritual reality that none of us can avoid. We may be afraid of dying, but we should be more afraid of dying and facing the judgment of God. And were it not for His mercy in sending His Son, we would all still be under the curse of sin. It's why God sent His Son to die on the cross in place of us for our sins. And because the Lord is our salvation through His Son, we therefore have reason to give thanks Because God has delivered us from the greatest danger of all, and that's the curse of sin. And even if we should contract COVID-19, and we should lay dying in a hospital, connected to a ventilator, about to lose everything and everyone that we cherish in this world, we still will have reason to give thanks. Because we have a salvation that is found in the Lord. The Lord will still be our strength and our song. We will praise Him because He saved us from our sin and death will merely bring us into His presence forever, into eternity of bliss and joy in fellowship, in knowing our Creator and our God. This all is true. That the Lord is our salvation. That we can give thanks to Him for. Because of our fourth reason that we find in this passage. A fourth reason to give thanks to the Lord. We find in verses 22 through 27. And we give thanks to the Lord because He is the cornerstone. And here in these verses is the crux the main heart of why we give thanks. It's the, main, uh, it's the main focus in what brings about our salvation, which reflects the love of God and His goodness. We read all, we'll read all these verses together, 22 through 27. And we're just reading these verses, especially if you know your New Testament, you'll find these verses very familiar sounding. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You'll notice as we read this that the pronouns change in this section. It changes from first person singular where the psalmist was speaking I and me. He was changes to first person plural. Now it's we and our, us. And what it does is it effectively emphasizes this part of the psalm. It is likely that this part of the psalm was then kind of like the first part was sung by a solo, but then the latter part of this psalm, this section, is now sung by the whole 
chorus of the congregation. All of the worshipers of God together are now singing this together in worship of God. Verse 22 here in Psalm 118 is the second most quoted verse in this whole psalm. Initially, it referred to Israel's king, that the king of Israel was, that wrote the psalm was the stone which the builders had rejected who had now become the chief cornerstone. It referred to Israel's king who was rejected by the surrounding nations, the rulers of the world at that time, but had now, because of God's help, had become God's instrument to deliver Israel from her enemies. It was God's instrument to bring salvation for Israel. And this was all of God's doing. It was God's sovereignty in verse 23. It was all according to God's timing in verse 24. But most of us are familiar with verse 22 because of its New Testament reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus is often identified. In fact, Jesus himself is the first one to identify himself as this stone which the builders rejected that would become the chief cornerstone. In so doing, he, he describes of how he would be rejected by the religious leaders of his day. And eventually, and though they rejected him and arrested and had him arrested and, cruci- and tr- tried unfairly eventually to be crucified on the cross, he nevertheless became the chief cornerstone. That chief cornerstone is the, it was oftentimes the, a, a, literally a cornerstone, the first stone that would be laid in a building, large blocks. And it had to be perfectly leveled and, and, and squared because upon that rock and against that rock would be all the other stones that would be laid uh, next to it to build up the building. And if that rock, that first cornerstone was crooked or slanted or was placed irregularly, then the rest of the building would be unstable. Jesus is that chief cornerstone upon which the salvation of mankind has been accomplished. Peter and the apostles would make this a very significant part of their message in the early church. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, when Peter is called to to explain why he healed a man, He answers in Acts 4, verse 11 and 12, these words. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. See, Jesus is the Lord. And he is also the chief cornerstone by which we must be saved. And Peter understood this, that this stone that was rejected by, he says, you, that is the religious leaders, this has now become the chief cornerstone for our salvation. And there's no other salvation in any other stone. This is, he is the cornerstone. No one else can we trust in to save us. No other name in heaven do we, can we cry upon from to be saved. Brothers and sisters, here's reason to give thanks because Jesus, the Lord God, is our chief cornerstone and is our salvation has been built upon Him, upon the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. He Himself is the cornerstone, but the prophets and apostles built upon Him. 
And they then taught them this disciples, and throughout history, disciples have taught disciples until our day. And we ourselves have come to know salvation because of that cornerstone that was first laid 2,000 years ago. And whose death and resurrection we celebrate this coming, this next weekend. In light of the Jesus, the Lord, uh, the Lord being the chief cornerstone, the psalm continues with a cry from the worshipers, the, from the worshipers to the Lord for salvation. In verse twenty-six, the people in the temple sing of the blessedness of their King who comes. And in the King, the Lord has made His light shine upon the people. For many Christians, verses twenty-five and twenty-six are familiar. Because, why? Because they were shouted by the people during Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In fact, verse verse 26 is the most quoted verse in uh, this psalm. Quoted six times in the New Testament. When the crowd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest, uh, when the Lord entered Jerusalem, they were literally shouting the transliteration of the Hebrew for, O Lord, do save, verse 25. We beseech you, save us now. Really, it's crying, Hosanna, save us, Lord, save us now. And when they shouted, verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were expressing their hope in Jesus as their king. In fact, Luke adds, the blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. While many people were saw and perceived Jesus as the king in his triumphal entry, and they were uh, waving palm branches upon him, even as a, a very uh, nationalistic kind of a recognition of the king, sadly for many of them, they had a, an incorrect view of what kind of king he was to be. They saw him and thought of him as being a king who would come to deliver them from Rome, from political oppression. But Jesus came to be a king who would deliver them from their spiritual oppression, from deliver them from sin itself. In less than a week, Jesus would be rejected by the rulers and by the people and be crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. And on that third day, he would rise to demonstrate his power over sin and death. For the stone that the builders had rejected had become truly the chief cornerstone. And everyone who believes on him will be saved. And every one of us who believes on Him can be saved. The reality of living in this world is that all of us eventually die. We may not die from COVID-19, but we will all die. And after we die, the scriptures tell us, comes judgment. We will face judgment before a holy God. What are we doing to prepare for that? Have you prepared for that judgment? All of us today are are probably wisely doing what we can to preserve our lives and the lives of others from the coronavirus disease. We're staying at home. We're wearing masks. 
We're, uh, we're limiting our interaction with others. How foolish it would be to not also preserve our lives and the lives of others from the disease of sin. If you're not a worshiper of God, you're not a believer in Christ yet, you can prepare for the coming inevitable death and judgment before God by turning away from a life where you are king to a life where Jesus is king. Turning away from a life of sin and turning in faith to a life of eternal blessings that is found in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross. Receive him as Lord and King for the forgiveness of your sins. And in that way, you can be prepared for the death that is coming for us all. If you're already a worshiper of God, then do what you can to help others preserve their lives from this deadly disease of sin. It is a wonderful opportunity. I've already heard from a few testimonies of how people have have used this time to share with others the hope that we have in Christ. And I hope that we will, God will open up the door for many more of us. In fact, some of you are probably watching today, listening to, to me and preaching the Word of God because one of our saints has loved you enough to invite you to come and listen to the Word of God so that you might be prepared not just to face coronavirus disease, but to face this and to prepare to face the curse of sin disease. That you might be delivered and have healing in Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's tell others of the hope that we have in Christ because He has sent us His Son and His Son he is the chief cornerstone. Lastly, the psalmist ends with us for us a fifth reason to give thanks. And it's just a short little section, but we give thanks to the Lord because He is my God. Look at verse 28 and 29 with me. The psalmist ends, goes back to first person singular. He says, You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Before the psalmist repeats his main theme, he gives thanks and praises to the Lord, his God. He says twice, you are my God. You know, and it's, it's just such a subtle difference. But it's one thing, it's a big difference to just praise God, say, praise you because you are God. And there's a big difference from that. And praise you because you are my God. Really, it's no use to acknowledge that the Lord is God, that the Lord is good, that the Lord is helpful, the Lord is a savior, that the Lord is a cornerstone, if the God who you recognize is not your God. Maybe perhaps you believe that He is one among many gods, or you believe in another God. And, but such faith, according to the Scriptures, does not lead to salvation. But the goodness of God, His help, and His salvation belong to those who worship Him alone, who call Him their God. 
And so will you worship Him? Will you receive the gift of salvation that is provided by Him in the death and resurrection of His Son? Will you acknowledge Him as your God? Will He acknowledge Him as your Lord and King? And if He is your God, then you will have all the blessings of who He is. And you will have many reasons to give thanks to Him because He is good. His faithful love is everlasting. He is your helper in times of need. He is your salvation from sin and judgment. And He has sent His Son to be the chief cornerstone upon which your salvation rests. If you're listening to these words, I hope, if you're not already, that before we end in prayer, you will acknowledge God as your God and that you will have join with us and have reason to give thanks to the Lord. Well, in conclusion, if you've been following the news and the reports, I think earlier this week we heard that the peak of this coronavirus disease is still ahead of us. Over the next few weeks, it's going to get worse. We saw some huge numbers brought out about who, how many would die. And we don't know if they're, that's going to be exactly what's going to happen. But we can probably be sure that it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. And so I know that many of you, many of us, are, are praying for our government leaders. We're praying for our scientists. We're praying for our healthcare professionals who are all working in their respective capacities to bring about the end of this pandemic. We're praying for them because we're looking to them to have wisdom and, and strength and, and knowledge in leading us through this disease. And might I add, we're looking to them to have compassion. All eyes are upon our leaders and they deserve our prayers. Our healthcare professionals deserve prayers. Our, our biotechnology scientists who are looking for vaccines deserve our prayers. But before believers in Christ, before we look to any of them for our hope and for our help, we look first to our God. That's why we are praying for them. Because we understand that ultimately, God is our help. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is our salvation. God is the only one who ultimately can protect and deliver us from harm. He rules over the affairs of man. We may make our plans, and, uh, but ultimately it's the Lord who directs our steps. And it's this awareness that our God is in control, that He is the eternal, almighty, all-knowing, and good God that gives us hope and peace. In our distress, in our days of distress, let us remember that the Lord is our helper, our refuge, our strength, and our song. And because of who He is, we can give thanks. And we ought to give Him praise. Knowing the Lord as our God gives us reason to give thanks today and in the days ahead, no matter what happens, because we have our God. <clears throat> and he is our helper 
Therefore, we do not have to be afraid. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we join with the worshipers and the author of Psalm 118 in giving you thanks because you are God. You are a good God. You are a a helping God. You are a saving God. You are a merciful, compassionate God. And Lord, you are our God. Father, thank you for this passage that reminds us of these truths of who you are. Truths that never change despite our circumstances. Realities of who you are that ensure the security of our soul. And Lord, when our lives are over, we are in eternity in heaven with you. Lord, may this continue to be our song. May this continue to be our praise. As we look back upon these days, and we'll see that those, that this momentary times of distress in this life will pale in comparison to the joy of having salvation through faith in Jesus Christ the chief cornerstone who came as a king, a king who would give his life for his subjects. And so Lord, as we remember his coming death and resurrection this week, help us to share with others and to tell of others what he, what you have done, what he has done so that they might too might have eternal life through faith in him. Help us share this hope with others. And Father, if there's any here who are listening to us and even now, may you fill their hearts with the hope of salvation and through faith in Jesus Christ right now. Show them, Lord, that, is, that the fears that they feel, the anxieties that they feel are all because of the curse of sin. And this disease is simply a part of that fallen world. And that they would then see, Lord, that this disease is truly ultimately designed, even that you have allowed, so that we would draw near to you in faith. God, may you cause us to realize, all of us, to realize that what ultimately matters is knowing you and your salvation in Christ, our Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for this time, this day of worship. Watch over us this week as we go um, back into our own homes and our own little, uh, small, our families, our little community and our neighbors. Help us continue to be a demonstrations of your love for others and love for you. Help us to be a salt and light. Help us to be those of us who are working on the front lines to courageously and bravely and compassionately serve those who need us. Lord, help the rest of us to pray and to cry out to you because ultimately you are the one who is in control of all things. God, we ask these things, pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.